This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis, and this week we are in conversation with Iqbal Nassim. Uh, Now, Iqbal is the chief executive of the National Zakat Foundation here in the UK, Um, and NZF is a really interesting organisation doing work to try and kind of offer new ways for people of the Muslim faith, obviously, to make Zakat payments and to kind of distribute them uh, within the UK rather than focusing on international causes so much, as you'll hear. Uh, And we had a great wide-ranging conversation. Um, My thanks to uh, Fozia Irvan for for putting us in touch uh, initially, I should say. Um, And Iqbal and I talked about the work of of NZF and how it came about, um, but also kind of more... More broadly, some really fascinating stuff on the wider context around what zakat is, how it fits within Islamic teaching on giving and philanthropy, um, some of the, what that teaching says about how zakat is to be given and distributed, what the what the kind of um, uh, composition of zakat in terms of where it comes from and where it was going has traditionally been in terms of the breakdown of different cause areas whether it goes to formal organizations or individuals how that's kind of reflected in teaching um, and we talked quite a bit about um, the impact of technology on on giving more broadly um, and also specifically on on zakat um, because the work that, that Iqbal and NZF are doing is very much trying to bring a kind of platform approach uh, to zakat um, so without further ado let's go into the conversation it was a really fascinating wide-ranging one I really enjoyed it it was a lot of stuff in there that I sort of didn't know very much about so I felt like I really learned a lot and, and hopefully you will enjoy listening to it too uh, I'll be back at the end for the usual bit of housekeeping and tidying up uh, but enjoy the conversation okay great so I'm here with Iqbal Nassim hi Iqbal hi how are you I'm good, thank you. And Iqbal is the chief executive of the National Zakat Foundation, or NZF, um, and really keen to to get a chance to talk to you. We had a a brief chat the other day, and I found that really fascinating, so I was really keen to get you on the podcast. Um, Maybe the the best place to start is just for you to kind of say a bit in your own words about what NZF is and and what you guys do. Sure. So the National Zakat Foundation uh, is an organization uh, that uh, gives zakat payers, uh, zakat givers in the United Kingdom, the opportunity to bring zakat to life where they live. So what that means is that they can have their uh, zakat paid through NZF and then distributed on their behalf uh, to eligible recipients uh, in the country. Great. And and maybe the, I mean, the natural place to go there, I guess, is is to sort of wind it back a second and, and maybe we should delve into what zakat actually is for people who are listening who, who aren't aware. So people might be aware that it's sort of part of the overall kind of machinery of, of Islamic giving and it's kind of an important part of that. But maybe if you could kind of explain a bit about what zakat is and, and what the sort of teachings on it are um, in Islamic um, thinking and kind of how it fits in the broader picture of, of Islamic giving. Absolutely. So zakat is actually one of the core obligations uh, of Islam. Um, And according to the Quranic narrative, interestingly, 
zakat is a uh, not just a feature of uh, the uh, the teachings of Muhammad peace be upon him, but also part and parcel of the uh, overarching um, kind of prophetic uh, kind of mandate, if you like, going back to Abraham. So uh, as as uh, as as you know, um, you know Muslims recognize Abraham, Moses, Jesus, uh, Muhammad, all as prophets of God. And the Quranic narrative talks about zakat uh, alongside uh, salah, so uh, alongside prayer, uh, as part and parcel of what all prophets came to um, uh, sort of bring as important and core practices uh, of Islam. And Islam simply meaning, uh, you know, submission, surrender, commitment to, uh, to, to the one God. So it's important to just give that overall perspective. Zakat, practically speaking, involves the giving of a a portion of uh, one's wealth on an annual basis uh, for various causes, and we can we can we can touch on those uh, in a moment. Um, but it is effectively, if you want to put it in modern sort of parlance, I would co- really call it a sort of um, a wealth tax. Really, uh, it is an obligation. It is specifically calculated. Uh, classically speaking, it was organised by uh, the um, uh, the authority, the, the political authority uh, amongst uh, amongst Muslims. Obviously, that will differ for us as um, uh, as minority communities, um, so the idea is that uh, you know it is an obligation, and it's um, and it represents, I suppose, that concern um, or, or effectively the basic uh, training, if you like, for pe- for people to be giving and to be giving for their local communities, local causes, um, and and from that, of course, you then have the idea of voluntary giving as well, which sort of builds uh, on this um, basic obligatory layer. Yeah, it's really there's a lot I want to pick up on in there. I think there's some some really fascinating things that um, people might not be aware of about kind of how the thinking about zakat and, and other forms of Islamic giving actually kind of says interesting things about some wider debates that are going on in philanthropy at the moment that, I, that I'd really like to talk to you about. I guess the thing I wanted to pick up on first is you're saying there that zakat is um, or sort of historically was uh collected and distributed by um sort of political authorities and I, and I believe in countries where there is still a sort of majority uh muslim population that's still the case the government takes quite a big role and there are kind of official zakat um uh, agencies and, and sort of distributions done that way could, could you just explain a bit more for people kind of how it has worked up to now in the uk well in the uk um to be honest it's um mainly been i think two things uh, obviously, the Muslim community in the country, which is numbers around four million people at the moment, um, is largely made up of, of sort of immigrant communities. So, you know, I myself am sort of, uh, you know, second generation here. Uh, obviously, my children are now just starting to grow up here. So, you know, largely immigrant communities from, you know, Indian subcontinent, um, uh, you know, from the Middle East, North Africa, etc. So, uh, initially, a lot of the giving of zakat was quote unquote back home. Yeah. Uh, so to people's relatives, um, you know, uh, maybe impoverished family members, local, you know, their villages from which they came, where people were in need, etc. Uh, and then around, you know, 40 years ago or so, 30 to 40 years ago, some of the big names in the uh, uh, sort of international relief um, sort of sector started to emerge. So the likes of Islamic Relief, Muslim Aid and others, and, and there's a whole plethora now uh, of Muslim charities. Uh, again, um, just to give some sort of organization, I suppose, or some sort of mechanism through which people could largely, uh, Muslims in this country could give to uh, towards the sort of disasters that were uh, that were taking place. So either as a result of conflict or or, or natural disasters that were affecting um, sort of, if you like, the Muslim world. So that's how, where a lot of the, these two avenues, if effectively remittances um, and sort of internationally through a sort of growing um, uh, chari- uh, charitable kind of uh, 
uh, organizations. These were the main avenues for, for zakat giving. Um, really, until, until, until we came along in 2011 uh, as a bit of a disruptor uh, and really started to say, well, hang on a second, you know, at what point does back home become, you know, Birmingham or Luton or London or, or Glasgow? Um, so the idea of local zakat had had already started to be given some, uh, uh, you know, some efforts, you know, local efforts uh, around the country. And there were some early voices, no doubt, who were, who were promoting the idea. But I think NZF, uh, when it came along, came along with, with a bit of a bang and uh, has, has kind of now grown and maintained its position as really the only um, sort of platform which with a nationwide reach that now gives thousands of zakat payers across the country the opportunity to have their zakat uh, distributed right here in the UK where there is poverty there is difficulty um, and uh, and in our opinion there is a duty therefore upon us to uh, ensure that this important aspect of our um, faith is a given life right here where we live. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear that that sort of being different approach, because I guess for people who might be aware of Zakat, as you say, um, here in the UK, certainly it seems very much uh, tied in people's minds with giving internationally. <clears throat> is is that just reflective of the fact that the way it's been interpreted is that the, the giving of Zakat has to be to causes that are seen to be um, are they kind of constrained by the teaching? I guess what I'm getting at is what is it that the teaching says about the causes towards which Zakat has to go or what the nature of the recipients is? Do they need to be particular groups or individuals or located in particular places? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So, you know, we, we, we argue strongly for the fact that our approach is, is, um, is more aligned with, if you like, classical teaching. Uh, and understanding than than the um, than the predominant approach. So the reason I think it's emerging the way that it's emerged uh, at the moment is really if you look at historically over over time. I mean, this is a very sort of um, uh, you know short summary of basically what's happened. But effectively, what's happened is over time, over the hundreds of years, uh, the zakat has been paid and distributed. Slowly, slowly, there's it's been more and more. Um, uh, almost democratized, if you if you want to put it that way, or left to the left to the people to handle themselves. Um, and part of the reason why some say that that may have taken place is because actually uh, Muslim countries uh, or the Islamic Empire at one stage became so prosperous and so wealthy uh, that effectively zakat was no longer such a critical source of uh, revenue uh, for 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 governments and authorities. And then they effectively left it to lo local administrations or just the people as individuals to administer themselves directly on a hand-to-hand -hand basis, um, you know, to people who they uh, could see were in difficulty. And so what's happened is, is that, you know, and even though you referred earlier to the fact that, yes, Muslim countries, there are Zagat agencies and bodies, there are really only a very small handful of examples where Zagat is properly managed at a state level um, or at a kind of political authority level, uh, either national or local. Um, you know, mostly it's still happening by, you know, independent kind of agencies. Now, so what's happened is it's been more and more gone into people, you know, people have been responsible more on an individual basis to kind of just discharge that obligation. Um, and so, as I mentioned, immigrant communities have come here and then they feel that natural affiliation to, you know, uh, to sort of their, um, uh, to where they've come from, to their local villages, where they've seen and they've experienced perhaps themselves, you know, poverty. So you, they're starting to do well for themselves here. And the community obviously has, has grown in prosperity uh, over the years, although still in a largely kind of quite a difficult place overall. Um, and then it's kind of, you know, it's just felt that affinity. See, what's really interesting is that it's one of the one of the things that all Muslims know about Islam is that, uh, and it's got spoken of recently, actually, in the context of the whole Black Lives Matter thing, is that, you know, 
the message of the Prophet and the Quranic message was very much against tribalism, was very much against racism, was very much against these kind of dividing ourselves up along ethnic lines. The message was unity uh, in belief in and service towards God and humanity. That was the message and that is the message. And so interestingly, you know, Zakat is not actually really supposed to be about, you know, oh, just randomly supporting anyone around the world who might be in difficulty to whom I might feel an emotional or a kind of even ethnic sort of connection to. Uh, almost almost a kind of um, giving in the context of the past, yeah, or my past experience. Rather, Zakat is actually about building for the future. It's about building up a community. And, and so our argument it to, is that, look, Muslims are now here to stay. We're here. We are, you know, part and parcel of part and parcel of society. We are British. Our children are going to be here. Grandchildren are going to be here, etc. So actually, we need to be looking ahead. We need to be investing and giving here as part and parcel of pulling our community uh, up and through and 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 you know supporting our own chances of success and prosperity here as a community and investing in ourselves so which we think is much more aligned to what the uh, purpose is uh, of zakat in the first place which is as a pillar of islam it's one of five pillars of islam and therefore as a pillar of islam it's supposed to uphold uh, you know islam and, and the muslim community in some sense and so that's why you know that's why we say well actually we should be giving here for all of these reasons yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, one thing we sort of talked about previously was um, when I found out what you were doing, I was fascinated because it really resonated with a wider conversation I see in the world of philanthropy about the role that platform approaches are are um, playing in sort of allowing people to return full circle in many ways to kind of older models of giving that are much more about kind of person to person interactions and kind of individuals giving to to individuals in a slightly more kind of decentralized way and um, maybe you could say a bit about kind of how that fits in with with what you're saying about uh kind of returning uh zakat in many ways to its root i mean is is the sort of fundamental idea behind it that is it is about modes of giving that are individuals supporting individuals and if it has become more intermediated by organizations is that just sort of reflective of the fact that that's how the charity sector has has evolved yeah so look i think i think again classically like intermediation by like the authority it's not it's just a question of intermediation it's almost like the question of what their duty right so it's not that they're sort of a voluntary middleman but it's actually considered if you're the political authority it's your job right to uh, collect this wealth tax basically and then redistribute it along various lines um, you know, uh, to for for the benefit of the whole uh, sort of society. So, um, you know, in that sense, uh, an organization, you know, in our context now, where obviously the independent organizations can come forward and say, uh, well, we're going to now take that role. There is no political authority to do that. So that's fine. The difference between, I suppose, NZF and other charities that kind of uh, collect and distribute zakat is that they're very much doing it in the context of, you know, purely poverty relief, basically. A social welfare and obviously then doing that on an international humanitarian basis whereas we're very much trying to say well actually yes those are important components um, but we're trying to do this with some sort of idea of a, a vision for our community in the future um, rather than simply just um, uh, you know sort of remedial type of uh, giving to put in, in response to crises um, so it's, it, it's sort of a different approach so we are as a gut institution as opposed to a charity that so happens to uh, collect and distribute zakat. Now, we used to describe ourselves as a zakat institution, I should say, and now we've moved to this sort of idea of being more of a platform, really because without taking away anything from, I suppose, the role of NZF as an important organizer of funds, we also are living in a time when actually choice and um, uh, sort of autonomy uh, is important to people. 
And so within a kind of constrained set of uh, kind of avenues that we think are uh, beneficial and reflective of the categories of zakat distribution, um, we are basically offer choice to zakat payers whom we consider to be our first beneficiaries as a charity and then the recipients as a secondary beneficiary. Uh, and we allow people then to give through the organization and select, you know, in terms of where they, how they want to balance their zakat. Now, classic, why that's important is it, it, that is a slight departure from the classical model. The classical model is you give to the authority, the authority decides, and then should let you know what's going on, right? Just as we give taxes, uh, you know, the government collects the taxes, and then hopefully we'll have some sort of reporting back of what is actually going on and how our money is split. In our case, we're trying to say, no, at the point of giving, you have a limited choice, but a choice in terms of how you allocate your funds. And we think that that's one of many different kind of ways where actually given that choice within a kind of call it a controlled environment, we're likely to, um, I suppose, uh, help people, the givers feel that they're more involved and a bit more directing in terms of uh, how there's a card is being used and where it's going. Yeah, it's really, I mean, that that's fascinating. I guess interesting because it, it sort of ties into lots of questions about the extent to which giving people greater choice as donors or kind of more direct um, connection with the, the recipients of, the, of their giving um, can kind of uh, make them feel better about their giving, but also make it a more kind of rewarding experience. I guess it's really interesting in the context of Zakat, which is, um, you know, an I mean, to to some extent, um, a kind of mandated duty rather than than just a voluntary choice. What is it that you want the the givers of zakat then to get out of? I mean, is it that you want them to kind of give give more zakat, or just when they they do fulfil that duty to feel better about it? I mean, what what's the sort of theory behind giving them that choice? Yeah. So look, at, at the moment, the level of choice that we provide is basically um, across these different funds. We have four funds at the moment: a hardship relief fund housing fund work fund and um an education fund okay and then we we based on the based on the demand that we are seeing from uh sort of zakat claimants if you like we are then uh we have a recommended sort of split so when someone comes on okay i've got 100 pounds of zakat to pay you know we might say at a particular point in time we recommend you put 50 pounds into hardship relief 40 pounds into housing and work 10 pounds into the education fund for example um, you know, when the uh, earlier this year, when obviously the coronavirus had its effect and we were went into lockdown, uh, we had a massive surge in uh, applications from people in need, uh, often who were then waiting for benefits or other governmental support to kind of kick in. Um, and and so our recommendation to givers at that time and going into Ramadan, which is our peak time for giving, uh, changed so that we had um, a greater proportion towards the hardship relief fund because people were looking for that quick access sort of uh, emergency support. So we provide a recommendation, but we allow people to deviate from that recommendation if they want. And a fair number of people, you know, around a third of those who give, they decide, you know, that they would like to make their own choice about the allocation. So we're not giving at the moment a choice at the level of the individual, i.e. you can actually choose to support this particular individual. Um, however, one thing we're really interested to explore uh, is that we are really interested to explore the idea of going further with the local notion, i.e. that you could restrict your giving. Uh, to a particular area within the UK. So if I live in Leicester and I want to give to somebody in Leicester before it goes elsewhere, then we want to, we are starting to explore how we can do that. And obviously that involves a lot of um, thought in terms of the technology side of things. Um, but that's something which I think will be interesting. And I think what would then, you know, I think it just, yeah, people will have a greater affinity, you know, to, um, uh, to, to, to the impact. We'll really, it's not just we want them to feel better. I suppose we want them to know that actually they, they are having an impact right where they live and there's something powerful about that um you know there's something powerful about the uh, the fact that i know that the, my giving in a way that respects the dignity of the claimant or the recipient 
um, is, is I'm able to help somebody who might literally be, you know, around the corner from me. We actually had an example once uh, where we were looking at our data and we saw that we, we had payers and givers and recipients literally on the same street. And that's amazing, right? So a few doors down from each other, one wouldn't know that the other was in particularly in financial difficulty. Um, so, you know, but they both sort of independently kind of come uh, and, uh, you know, um, one given and one applied to NZF and that, and and that's you know enabled us to kind of provide a connection which otherwise may 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 not have existed. Well, one additional thing I would say is that we are also then in retrospect um, informing people in much more detail about who their zakah has gone to, even though they can't necessarily make that choice at the point of giving. So we've introduced a service called Zakah Tracker, uh, which basically which we're just starting to we we started piloting a few months ago, uh, but now it's kind of stepping up a gear. Uh, and we're just piloting now, being able to tell uh, individual givers that, look, oh, you know, you gave your zakat in April, for example. Uh, good news, your zakat has now been distributed. We do that on a first-in, first-out basis. And say you gave, um, you know, a thousand pounds of zakat. Uh, well, that thousand pounds was used to, um, uh, to sort of, or made up, say, for example, two and a half grants. Yeah. So here well, there, was, there was one grant of 400 pounds to so-and-so individual in such and such a place, and we will break that down. Um, and uh, another 400 pound grant, uh, grant to, to so-and-so. And then with 200 pounds, you joined on with two other Zakat payers to provide, for example, a 600 pound grant to this you know, single mother with three children uh, who was struggling you know, in, in a part of Birmingham, for example. Yeah. So that's information that we are providing. And again, that's the idea of that is to give people a level of confidence that the Zakat is not sitting with us, but it is actually going to where it should go. Um, but again, a certain level of detail that just makes it more real for them, um, you know, in terms of that they're helping real people, real families, and there are real stories and there's real benefit coming off the back of this. Yeah, and I think in terms of what you're saying there about sort of giving people greater understanding and affinity and, a, and I guess sort of, you know, an empathetic uh, link to, to where their money's going, I think it's really powerful. Um, I guess we talked about this when, when we spoke before, and I'd be really interested to, to sort of cover it again, is we're seeing in some other areas where people are using platform approaches to to allow people to give more directly and i'm thinking here particularly around sort of crowdfunding that it's it does have those benefits but if you give too if you sort of shift too far towards giving individual choice on the part of the donors as yeah. to where their money goes at the level of individuals the danger is that you bring back in some of those sort of unconscious biases or sort of you start to see people making quite old-fashioned distinctions between sort of deserving and undeserving cases mm -hmm. on the basis sure. of criteria you might be concerned about as you sort of think about how to 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 kind of uh you know disintermediate what you're doing more have you have you sort of been aware of those kinds of challenges and wh where would you kind of draw the line in terms of your responsibility as a platform no sure it's a good question look i think i mean there are some you know there are some very immediate challenges just from practical challenges even before we get to the sort of the moral sort of uh, sort of side of it which is that you know in our case um giving is so concentrated in what just one part of the year um, so about 75 to 80 percent of zakat that is given is given in the month of Ramadan, uh, which approximately falls, uh, you know, between April and May uh, in, in, in the Gregorian calendar. So, um, you know, so if you imagine, you know, millions of pounds are literally coming in in this in this one month period. But our, you know, typically our application sort of cycle, the, the rate at which we receive applications is fairly you know, smooth around the year, right? There are some peaks and obviously, and obviously recently there's been peaks because of the virus, but generally speaking, that is the case. So the idea that you can give to so-and-so specific individual is quite difficult because you haven't necessarily, you know, to, to, to sort of match the, um, the timing of supply and demand 
it would be would be a difficult thing to do. I mean, in principle, though, leaving that aside, um, in our case, look, I think the idea um, uh, the idea that people can would support be able to kind of see down to the individual level, like who is this person and and what's their situation and can I support them? I mean, it's not necessarily it's not necessarily that problematic, in our opinion, from a kind of moral ethical perspective, just because um, we will already uh, have shown um, that, uh, or we, they'll only be appearing there as people who who are who, um, uh, who are ready to re receive support based on uh, having fulfilled certain criteria and being sort of uh, quote, you know quote unquote vetted by us anyway. So a lot of what happens nowadays, you all you see a lot of these crowdfunding type things where there's individual to individual giving, but there's not really any vetting via the relevant platforms about who those individuals are, what the reality of their situation is, did they check their documents, their identity, you know, any of that kind of stuff. So those, you know, there is there is the possibility of, um, uh, you know, fraud and other kinds of things going on there. Uh, in our case, we're checking for obviously their eligibility according to Zagar criteria and our particular criteria within our various funds. And of course, you've got to put this in the broader co context that when we speak about Zagar, we we always speak about it as it being the right of the recipient, or the right of the claimant, um, and the duty on the payer. So. Whilst there might be choice, we're also keen to emphasize, and I think Muslims generally are quite aware of this anyway, that, you know, um, there is a choice, but there's also the rights of those who whose needs have not been fulfilled to be fulfilled. Um, and so it does it does it does potentially throw up some some moral hazards and, and, and problems. But, you know, they're potentially they are surmountable. I think those those are surmountable. I think what we would be thinking about in that respect is more the practical issues of timing. And again, almost the, almost the technical technological challenges uh, that we might face in providing that kind of service yeah that's that's really interesting um i just wanted to, to pick up because i think it's an absolutely fascinating point uh, the one you were making there about the how zakat is seen on the by the those in receipt of it and also kind of understood by those giving it because it does seem to me this is something quite fundamental that goes to a, a much a, you know a bigger conversation that's been around for a long time but i think is getting renewed life in the the world of philanthropy at the moment about how the, the kind of idea of charity as a gift relates to the idea of justice as a duty. And it seems to me Zakat is often misportrayed or kind of misunderstood by people um, who aren't from, from a kind of Islamic um, faith as, oh, it's part, you know, it's just a different form of charity. But actually it seems to me it's kind of, it's different. It's not a gift made through charity in the, same, in the way we would understand it. It's more of a requirement of justice on the part of, of the person making the gift. And therefore, does that play out in terms of the perception of people in receipt of zakat? Because I know in, in terms of being a recipient of charity, there are a lot of kind of historical stigmas attached to it. Is, is that different if you're a recipient of zakat? Yeah, no, it's, re it's really interesting. So look, you know, what everything that you're saying there is, you know, is absolutely almost a reflection of how it should be. And I suppose how it once was, but not how it is right now, yeah? meaning in terms of zakat being seen as um, a duty in the context of justice and therefore the right of the actual, uh, you know, the, the um, sort of the claimants themselves. Uh, because of the way that it has been almost um, uh, practiced, you know, in, in recent times as charity, you know, almost as an oxymoron, like an obligatory charity, but still almost in that charity box, you yeah? know. Um, then because of that, I think a lot of the charity associated um, uh, features, like you, like you mentioned, have emerged. So uh, interestingly, there's just some very recent um, study uh, done uh, by a growing uh, uh, sort of uh, organization called the Muslim Census, which is about polling sort of the Muslim community to see what our views are, what, what we're facing, etc. 
And it what we did, we worked with them in partnership on this issue about the financial effect of the virus. Um, and it turned out that um, 50%, you know, so half of those who said that they were in financial difficulties said that they would not apply for zakat. Yeah. Um, that's quite significant, right? So like literally half the people who are in financial difficulty said they wouldn't apply for zakat. Why wouldn't they do that? Because either a combination of the taboo associated with it or in their minds, they know that they're struggling, but they feel that they're not really worthy, perhaps compared to, again, some, you know, some international um, uh, potential kind of recipient. So they're actually, because of the way that zakat has so been so strongly associated in practice with like sort of international relief and kind of abject sort of uh, levels of poverty around the world, uh, it almost feels wrong, I think, to some people in their minds that both givers and recipients of zakat should be even used here in the first place, because whilst they might acknowledge difficulty in themselves or in others, you know, they 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 know that that doesn't compare at all to um, uh, to what is going on elsewhere, which I understand, I empathize with, but it kind of misses the point that actually um, in terms of the, 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 the primacy of for the giver of uh, fulfilling local uh, duties, rights, and responsibilities. There is that primacy, no doubt. You know, we talk as Muslims. We are concerned about accountability before God, right? And therefore, we it's um, it's unreasonable to to assume that God is going to hold us equally accountable for all of the problems of the world, all at the same time. But it is reasonable to assume that He's going to hold us more accountable. You know, for uh, the uh, injustices that we left, uh, you know, unpursued where we live and where we have a kind of, a, you know, more of a the social capital and the, and the influence and the, the knowledge and the, uh, the local sort of know-how, if you like. Uh, and amongst those injustices is obviously the fact that people are in difficulty, they're suffering, they're, they're, there are things troubling them uh, and, uh, and that those things need to be, um, uh, need to be addressed and need to be dealt with. Yeah, again, I mean, it's it's fascinating because it really resonates with the uh, sort of d- in debate in other areas of philanthropy, particularly around things like um, effective altruism, which obviously kind of dictates that you take a kind of utilitarian, fairly neutral view of, of your giving and a kind of agnostic about causes. And, and almost inevitably, that leads you to focusing on those in extreme poverty in, in the global south. And actually, you know, people who would push back on that and say it's an overly narrow conception of what drives philanthropy might say that's fine as as part of an overall portfolio of giving. But you have to acknowledge that actually there are differences in the weighting of duties when it comes to addressing needs in your, your kind of immediate vicinity. And you might be sort of better placed to address those. So it's really interesting to hear that that is, you know, something that's kind of you know baked into all of the discussion around Zakat mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, actually, in terms of, I mean, it touches on some of, of what we're saying there about it being a kind of duty of, of justice. I guess in seeking uh, justice through through the sort of redistribution of money, whether that's through philanthropy or whether it's through something like zakat, um, one of the conversations is often about where, whether that needs to be done through kind of directly addressing symptoms or actually whether some of that money needs to go to other work that can address kind of at a more fundamental level the underlying causes. And I wonder whether there that is potentially sort of intention with the focus on giving to individuals in that that seems to me to be, you know, most often kind of addressing the immediate symptoms of problems. And they may be, you know, it might be extremely kind of worthwhile. But actually, if there's also a part which is about how do we kind of address the underlying causes of those problems, it might lead you more towards focusing on kind of campaigning or advocacy. Is there any space within thinking on Zakat for for kind of addressing things more at that level rather than the immediate human level? Sure. Well, this is a subject of uh, significant debate, and um, I think that it's it's certainly unresolved, and there are various views on it. So, those who would take a more traditional view uh, would say, well, you know, basically that they would say that uh, that the um, 
the avenues through which zakah should be distributed, uh, they don't necessarily see a scope to um, uh, uh, to to sort of to, to to move those, I suppose, or for them to be diversified owing to the context. Whereas others would say, no, look, the, the you know um, what God is interested in, for example, uh, that we that we do something with our, uh, that we do something with our money to reduce poverty whether we give it directly to poor people or whether we give it to the kind of things that will reduce poverty in the longer term sense you know that's something which we need to sort of uh, figure out and so you know uh, in the quran when the eight categories of zakat distribution are mentioned and the first two are um, the uh, the poor and the needy the distinction being again debated but the distinction uh, roughly speaking being you know the, the sort of those in absolute poverty and those in some sort of relative poverty um the question is that Interesting, the, the words used in the Arabic, if you like, of the verse, they do refer to the people. Yeah? So it doesn't say to address poverty and need. It says, you know, that um, that arms, you know, ALMS, the, the traditional word for zakat, you know, or, or in translation at least, uh, are to be given to these people, you know, um, to the poor, to the needy. So, so, so many interpret that very literally, that you literally need to give it absolutely direct, you know, with as few questions asked as possible which again has its benefits and even contemporary studies show the benefits of these kind of cash cash giving and all the rest of it. But I think that there is scope for this kind of more systemic type of uh, stuff. It, it doesn't seem reasonable to me that um, that if we're saying that in a contemporary sense, that zakat is to something that's going to be handled or should be handled at a political uh, by the political authority or by the governing body, uh, that as part and parcel of the work that they would necessarily be doing with, with the funds, that there would be both the direct as well as the indirect, you know, the symptom as well as the um, sort of uh, sort of prevention uh, type of, um, uh, you know, type of spending. So I think that that does, that does make sense. So, for example, you know, let's say I think just, uh, you know, yesterday or I think it was over the weekend or whatever, this, um, uh, this new jobs uh, program has been announced, right, by the UK government. Now, that's a really good example uh, of, uh, you know, something which, in our opinion, you know, would then qualify as support for those who are in relative to poverty, the the uh, the intent behind which is to help make them uh, self-sustaining and then effectively, you know, tax paying or zakat paying, right? So um, obviously, when when all of that money, you know, however many you know hundreds of millions of pounds are going to be spent on that program, like the, in the context of a, a a Muslim government or in a Muslim country, you know, would such spend be something that you could spend zakat on? Because such spend would incorporate both a combination of direct sort of training as well as indirect administration, other things. So yes, in our opinion, absolutely, because it supports you know this uh, more empowerment type of uh, component, and and a lot of the zakat categories point towards that that they are actually about uh, empowerment uh, in an economic sense, in a kind of social, even a legal kind of sense, if you like, to give parity, equity, and then justice that you spoke of. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing I wanted to ask, actually, sort of going back to something it just reminded me when you were saying about sort of the, the teachings on Zakat there. I wondered whether there were any stipulations about the, I mean, things like the kind of the, the level of anonymity or visibility that the donor or the recipient has. Because I know you sort of talked about the the, the giver of Zakat being able to, to get information on where their, their money had gone. But I know in, in quite a lot of religious traditions, there is a sort of hierarchy of different types of giving. And the best is is often the one where the donor expects no kind of um, recognition. recognition for their sure. giving. I don't know if that, if that is something and, and how that kind of um, factors into the approach that you take to it. Yeah, look, I think um, no, it's, an, it's an important point. And even there's a prophetic sort of, um, you know, tradition around, uh, you know, sort of praising the one who gives with their right hand such that their left hand doesn't know, 
Yeah, <laughs> okay. so that's the kind of phrase that's used. Um, and so, but at the same time, at the same time, it's interesting because the Quranic verses <clears throat> uh, seem to encourage uh, uh, giving secretly and openly. Yeah. So I think the idea, and, and a lot of what the the Quranic message is about, just generally speaking, is about balance. Yeah. But actually, it's not. It's never. It's, it's it's almost never the case with anything in life that it's best to be entirely one way or the other. Yeah. There's a time for this and a time for that, and um, and so there's a time to give secretly because actually. Uh, there is a sort of almost a purity in that giving and a, and a kind of um, uh, a purity in that intention, if you like, between you and God. Uh, but there is a uh, but there is a huge benefit in giving publicly because it encourages others as well, right? And and people and that's the whole sort of notion of crowdfunding, you know, builds on that whole idea, and that's a positive thing. So I think that um, so so I think that can vary. You know, I don't I don't think though that it's we should get confused between you know being transparent with givers um, and and you know, transparency with givers is one thing. Recognition is another thing. Yeah. So telling the givers that this is what's happening with your money is transparency. And that helps, them, you know, gives them a certain confidence and an understanding of what's happening, but not necessarily in a way that is giving them any recognition as such. Yeah. Whereas what uh, often happens with, for example, you know, what one, one practice, which is, you know, lots of charities sort of obviously get into, you know, which I think, uh, again, from a, a moral or certainly call it a spiritual kind of standpoint, starts to become maybe problematic is the way in which we go the extra mile for our major donors, yeah? Um, and so for our major donors, oh yes, we'll have the recognition, we'll have the fancy events, we'll have the, you know, we'll have the extra sort of thank yous. Um, not, perhaps not, uh, you know, or perhaps forgetting that actually, you know, that 10,000 pounds or 50,000 pounds from, you know, so-and-so major donor uh, may have been just as much proportionally for them to give as, as that 10 pound donation was, right, for someone else. Um, and I think the value in that, even though obviously in the kind of absolute terms, one is more valuable to the charity in in one sense in terms of what it allows one to do. But I do think that um, uh, I do think that the, let's put it this way that um, uh, charities are far more likely to engage in practices that erode the good intentions of their major donors, right, than they do with perhaps their uh, the smaller scale ones. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. I mean that that conversation about the sort of pragmatics of you know giving greater. Uh, donor care to, to major donors because that's you know where you're going to get the big gifts from versus some of the moral questions about it I mean it's, it's a it's a pretty <laughs> thorny one um, is that I mean interesting actually to me that is that different in the context of Zakat I mean f- first of all are there kind of major donors giving or is there a kind of class of major donor Zakat giver um, and are they treated differently at all or do you sort of try as far as possible not to have those kinds of distinctions yeah no it's good i mean so obviously there is a variation simply because the guy is a is a calculated mm. right and so yeah um yeah so i mean just recently for example i, I was just discussing over the weekend uh, the fact that um you know asda has just been bought by two muslim oh, brothers yes. right yeah. who live in the north who who run who have the, uh, and the company euro garages you know so their wealth is estimated in the six billion you know something i don't know what right or three billion or something uh, I mean, what does it matter, right? When you got to that stage, um, yeah. but the um, you know, so the zakat on that is in the tens of millions, yeah, uh, is in the tens of millions, right? Now we, I, I can't say that we've seen any of that, uh, but if you're listening, <laughs> if you're listening, uh, then, yeah. uh, then the National Zakat Foundation is is an option and happy to help. Um, but uh, but look, I think that so there is a um, there's a natural tendency to a certain degree to give a slight slightly different level of treatment, but at the moment, actually, we we don't have. Um, uh, in, in the way that we organize ourselves and, and organize our communications, um, we don't really have much by way of that, is, you know, that is distinct for those who give more from those who give less. Like we pro- I think we provide a relatively equal level of 
kind of service and transparency and um, kind of communication. Where we where we uh, where we engage with major donors in a slightly different way is is in the non-zakar fundraising because for us as an organization, um, uh, like raising non-zakar funds to help actually invest in the organization, grow the organization, etc., um, and some of the operating costs, then that's actually a critical source of funds for us, and that's where we rely on kind of interacting more with major donors who will understand perhaps better. Uh, you know the uh, the value of supporting you know core costs and um, almost like the investment um, uh, aspect of uh, of NZF, i.e., to grow our services and, and our technology and, and increase the volume of our marketing, etc. So the people who fund that kind of uh, um, that activity at NZF uh, are sort of major donors, I suppose, then treated in a slightly different way to the uh, car givers. Yeah, so I know I want to come back in a second to ask you about that that whole kind of core cost thing because I remember you saying there was, there was something I found really interesting about about how that is viewed within uh, Islamic teaching on this. I just quickly wanted to ask about it, it seems to me in that what we've been talking about there about the distinction between you know your kind of mass market giver and a major giver. One of one of the things that that is sort of fundamental in that is the fact that zakat is is overtly um, based on a calculation of how much more money you, you have than than you need. I just wondered if you could say a bit about what that calculation actually looks like. I mean, because obviously historically there's the idea of sort of tithing or whatever in, in lots of different uh, parts of Christianity and it's sort of flat 10%. But what's the actual process for somebody who who is trying to uh, kind of um, uh, do their duty through zakat in terms of calculating how much they should be giving? Yeah, sure. So um, look, the calculation basically is about, it is about... Um, uh, Okay, so the first thing to say is that all all some all one's personal sort of uh, uh, kind of items or assets, if you like, which are therefore personal kind of um, uh, usage, uh, are uh, like non-financial assets are not subject to zakat. Yeah, so my house, my car, my bag, my whatever phone, um, computer, all of these things, uh, these are not subject to zakat. So straight away we know that. Okay, so what's being said is that actually, you know, the level at which you want to live your lifestyle in a way. You know, almost comes out. You know, so there is a respect for that kind of, um, you know, that um, uh, you know, ind- individual sort of individual individual choices, and it, zakat doesn't kind of creep into that basically. Yeah, in terms of the, how you, how you're going to um, sort of spend the money. Obviously, we're separately accountable, perhaps, or for, for the way in which we do that, and whether we're being too extravagant. And that's a separate point. So zakat basically then says, okay, look, so your cash. Um, you know, plus anything that's uh, waiting to be cash, let's say. So any assets that you have that, and uh, which you bought for in a capital gain, um, uh, minus anything, uh, minus anything that's uh, any cash that's about to leave you because of uh, debts that you may have or immediate kind of liabilities that are due. It's almost like a net uh, working capital kind of position that you're trying to assess, either for yourself as an individual or uh, or within a business, for example. Um, so that's roughly the principles of the calculation. Um, once you have a figure, or what, what that is, um, and if that figure is above what's called the nisab, which is the threshold uh, above which you pay, which is very low. I mean, in, it's um, again, there are varying sort of figures for it, but at, at, at most it's about £4,000. So basically, if you have £5,000, uh, you'll pay 2.5% then, and 2.5% of £5,000 is £125. So actually, you can see, you know, if someone has £5,000, it's only £125. It's not that, it's really not that significant. Uh, we're keen to remind people that even after paying your um, uh, even after paying your two and a half percent, you still have ninety seven and a half percent. Yeah. Um, so 
so yeah, so that's that 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 is how it works from a kind of calculation standpoint. But there are specific complexities because of the current you know asset mix of you know in sort of various commodities and and then there's pensions and shares and various types of investments. So depending on what people have, then we can support with you know we can support them with the actual um uh yeah with the actual calculation process. Mm. Interesting. And and coming back to that that point about you were saying there about kind of looking for other sources of funding mm. for core costs and things. Sure, I remember sure. you saying before that actually it's sort of interesting that in some of the the teaching on on zakat and kind of giving more broadly within within Islamic traditions, there is actually a category that sort of recognises yeah. the importance of supporting infrastructure. Oh, 100 percent. So so I mentioned earlier the first two cat of eight categories of zakat giving. Uh, those who are, those in poverty and, and and those in need, sort of absolute and relative. And then the third category uh, is uh, literally translates to the workers, the administrators. Yeah. So here, God is saying, yes, give to these people and after, you know and 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 the other causes as well, but make sure that Isamzakab is reserved for those who are actually basically doing the work. Yeah. Uh, classically, what did that mean? It meant literally the people who were going on behalf of then the 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 local the you know, yeah, the political authority. Are going out literally as tax collectors yeah so who's going to find who's, who's going to pay for them to go out make an assessment collect distribute obviously collection distribution at that time you know highly manual uh, uh task right um so so today obviously it, it, even though the, the the overall context has changed um you know technologically and what have you uh, but still there is the work of the administration and and so yeah i think it is definitely a very enlightened um sort of thing when you think about it given that we're still debating these things now and i think again these things are these things these things are uh, these things are is, again a question of balance yeah um and and so and to be seen on you know in terms of i think the problem is certainly in the muslim community perhaps it's perhaps wider as well but i'm more, more more familiar perhaps with the muslim mindset of giving that there is a, a very very strong um sort of uh uh, sort of movement against any uh, level of administrative costs and basically there's this kind of giving culture that says um, you know a charity that doesn't isn't able to cover its um, any costs beyond uh, the actual uh, the amount of the donation that's intended to go uh, to the beneficiary uh, that the charity that's unable to cover its costs from within its gift aid alone it clearly must be inefficient yeah and therefore we're not going to give so people very much assess kind of where they're going to give and that's why some particular charities especially have grown massively uh, in recent years you know to the 30 40 million scale um, simply off the back of that message that we don't take anything from the actual the core donation that you give you know we fund everything out of gift aid so which is which is which is fine but i think what it does is unfortunately lowers the level of the dialogue and the expectation in the minds of the givers because therefore as long because what's happened is people think well as long as that criteria is fulfilled clearly everything must be fine but of course that doesn't say anything about impact necessarily uh, it doesn't say nothing, uh, anything about um the, you know the exact uh, type of um uh, benefit that is being uh, that is resulting from the giving so look in our view we take a sort of balance view we 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 um we say that of your zakat we our default is to uh, reserve 10 percent for the direct costs of administering the zakat um and uh but we give people the option to say actually if they want 100 percent of their zakat to flow through the organization to the end beneficiary that we we ask them to basically uh, put a 10 percent uh, add-on uh, on top um so so you know so effectively we are uh i suppose if you want to put it this way like almost charging for the for, for the giving right let's be clear that we are 
you know, charities have a, they effectively have a chargeable service, basically. Yeah. If you if you can if they were to consider their donors as their customers, that's basically what's happening. But we're not very upfront often about the cost. I do think it would help charities to kind of speak uh, to to address donors um, more in that kind of language or in a language that people are used to, maybe in a more commercial sense about what well, I'm paying for such and such, and this is what it's gonna. This well, this is what this is what I'm paying, and this is what it's gonna. Um, this is what what it's gonna cost basically. Um, so so yeah, so that that that's what we um, uh, that's how we do it. But that ten percent is not enough to cover, uh, for example, you know all of our costs of developing our systems and technology, you know, our finance and governance costs, our marketing costs, et cetera. So, so that's why we rely on, we do rely, we didn't, gift aid is for us a source of additional non-Zakar funds, but we do rely on additional um, sort of voluntary giving specifically to cover those other costs that Zakar isn't, um, uh, yeah, doesn't take care of basically. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting given that, you know, what you're saying about this um, being quite a sort of enlightened path of teaching that actually <laughs> seem to be having all of the same issues around the how that is interpreted and what people's expectations are when it comes to giving to charity, which or, or, or paying zakat, which is, I absolutely agree, actually, the ideal for me would be if, if you know, charities and intermediaries could have a much more um, a kind of mature conversation with people giving where they say look this stuff does you know if you want the benefits of these kinds of approaches and platforms that allow you to reach causes you otherwise not might not be able to then that will cost because infrastructure costs but the the unfortunate thing is I guess competitive pressures mean that the temptation is to sort of play it down and if there are players in the market who actually are able to cover all of their core costs because they've got a sort of handful of major donors or something that skews the narrative um so yeah i mean i i, I agree i mean i think there's still a, a long way further to to go on that that conversation mm-hmm. sure. um i'm i'm aware that i'm in danger of keeping you too long i just wanted to ask one one last question and give you a, a chance to kind of you know flag up anything that, that you wanted to say um, i guess what i wanted to ask was around you know we talked a lot about um how zakat fits within uh, the kind of the overall tradition of, of Islamic teaching, Islamic giving, and obviously that's the focus of what you do. But but from the the point of view of um, of, a, of a kind of Muslim donor, how much of um, their overall portfolio of giving tends to be taken up with zakat, and and what other kind of elements are there? Does it tend to sit alongside other forms of giving? Is it seen as something? separate I, I know there's a kind of separate idea of sadaka um which maybe you could say a bit about what that is and how that fits in no sure so look um you know effectively there's obligatory giving and then voluntary giving um the term sadaka as it's used currently uh typically refers to then the voluntary giving yeah although again like uh, classically the terminology was understood a little bit differently that actually sadaka was this overarching umbrella term for sort of giving within which you had obligatory sadaqa, right, which was basically your zakat, and then your, like, voluntary components. Anyway, the idea is similar, that, that you know, you've got, you've basically got your obligatory and your voluntary. You know, roughly speaking, it's hard to say. We don't necessarily have, kind of, you know, all the data to support it. But if you do look at uh, a number of other Muslim charities, you know, I think there's very few of the large Muslim charities um, whose, uh, whose funds are mostly comprised of by zakat. So they're actually, you know, typically somewhere between maybe ten and fifty percent, yeah, of the um, of the kind of fundraising income of other charities. Typically, is zakat funds, which implies that there is a, there is a lot of voluntary giving. There's obviously institutional kind of donors and, and grants that they obviously um, uh, receive as well. So, you know, which which for us, by the way, kind of leads us to kind of uh, even more uh, emphasize the point uh, to people that actually, 
if Muslims had the discipline of, with their zakat to sort of give locally, because it's a particular type of giving that has a particular intent uh, and, and, to, and to function as a sort of a mechanism, uh, you know, and, and it would be given its, um, were, were it to achieve a critical mass in terms of its scale, you know, and in terms of giving on a local level, that actually the, the, the impact um, uh, and, and the effect of that would be really, really substantial. And, and, and then we, you know, remind people then that, look, even if, even if we gave all our zakat locally, yeah, and didn't even split it between local and international concern, then actually not only would we be spending hundreds of millions of pounds then here, and the, the, the uh, I think the, um, the zakat pie in this country, you know, is at least, at least, you know, half, half a billion, if not a billion pounds, you know, obviously heavily skewed. Um, to, you know, mean, meaning like 5% of the givers were probably responsible for, you know, 50, 60% of the of that amount of money. Um, but, you know, it's, it's massive. It's a massive, massive pot. And um, there's a lot of benefit, obviously, that can be brought with that. A lot of that perhaps isn't even, isn't even paid in the first place. Uh, and only 2% or 3% of what is given actually stays here in, stays here in the UK. So, you know, so there's, there's, a, there's a lot of potential. And we say to people, look, even if, even if all Zakat or a large portion of Zakat was paid here, you know, actually, given our giving record, and Muslims are, you know, shown to be kind of year on year the most generous kind of community in, in the country when it comes to giving, uh, just simply as, as uh, just in terms of you look at volume, and especially then when you compare that to the fact that overall as a community we are um, uh, typically on the lower end of the uh, economical sort of financial spectrum. So it's quite an impressive, uh, you know, level of generosity, and actually there'd be enough to sort of go around to do our duties locally to, to fulfill international concerns and, and, and deal with international issues as well. Um, so yeah, so that's, um, uh, that's really what I'd say on that. Great. Um, well, that's all the questions I had for you. I just remains to say thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast. Um, it's been great to have the chance to chat. Um, and if there's anything, you know, that you'd like to, to flag up or kind of bring people's attention to before we go? No, just uh, to thank you very much. And uh, thanks for having me. I hope it's been interesting and, uh, uh, and informative for, for the listeners. Um, and our, our website is nzf.org.uk, so the National Zakat Foundation, if anyone is interested in uh, finding out more about what we do and how we do it. Um, but yeah, other than that, just uh, stay safe and keep well. Cheers. And yeah, I'll put links in, in that and, and some other things relevant to what we talked about in the show notes. Okay, great. Well, my thanks to Iqbal for coming on the uh, the show. Um, I'll put links in the show notes to various things relating to the stuff that we talked about as ever. Um, if you're interested more broadly in issues around philanthropy and civil society, do check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Rodri underscore H underscore Davis or at Philiteracy if you want stuff that's more about kind of history and theory of philanthropy. Uh, if you've got an idea for people we could be talking to on the podcast or uh, topics, we could take a deep dive into drop me a line at givingthought at cafonline.org other than that just like subscribe tell all your friends about it leave a nice review on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time bye